The train bore me away through the monstrous scenery of slag heaps, chimneys piled scrap iron, foul canals, paths of cindery mud criss, crossed by the prints of clogs. This was March, but the weather had been horribly cold, and everywhere there were mounds of blackened snow. As we moved slowly through the outskirts of the town, we passed row after row of little grey slum houses running at right angles to the embankment. At the back of one of the houses, a young woman was kneeling on the stones, poking a stick up the leaden waste pipe which ran from the sink inside and which I suppose was blocked. I had time to see everything about her, her sacking apron, her clumsy clogs, her arms reddened by the cold. She looked up as the train passed. And as I was almost near enough to catch her eye, she had a round, pale face, the usual exhausted face of the slum girl who is 25 and looks 40, thanks to miscarriages and drudgery and it wore, for the second in which I saw it, the most desolate, hopeless expression I have ever seen. It struck me then that we are mistaken when we say that it isn't the same for them as it would be for us, and that people bred in the slums can imagine nothing but the slums. For what I saw in her face was not the ignorant suffering of an animal. She knew well enough what was happening to her understood as well as I did how dreadful a destiny it was to be kneeling there in the bitter cold on the slimy stones of a slum backyard, poking a stick up a foul drainpipe. It is only when you meet someone of a different culture from yourself that you begin to realise what your own beliefs really are. It was written by George Orwell uh, from the book The Road to Wigan Pier. Seemed appropriate following on from last week when uh, we were talking about poetry and we were talking about making photographs without cameras. But the reason I read that this week, uh, I suppose it was, it was ignited in a way by an article I saw on the It's Nice That website. Initially, I was slightly nervous about what that article was going to contain. Uh, again, picking up on last week, that idea of Bruce Gilden in particular and that disrespect that was being shown from people from other worlds, from our own perhaps, in different social economic situations. They're not in a different world, of course. They're just trying to get through the same world, but with a more stacked against them. So anyway, I saw this article on the It's Nice That website, and I'm going to put the link on the uh, website page for this episode. Uh, the title which concerned me was it said, should only working class photographers take pictures of working class places? Speaking to four photographers documenting the 93 Barnsley, Appalachia and Jaywick respectively, we investigate if there is a right way to document low-income areas, and ultimately, if outsiders should. This is the uh, first couple of paragraphs from that article. From Roger Main's work on a soon-to-be-demolished Southam Street in the 50s to Martin Parr's early fascination with the North, photography has long set up shop in low-income areas. 
As equipment became more accessible and photographic courses more numerous, an increasing number of practitioners have emerged, yet a particular kind of working-class documentation still prevails. Crucially, with recent statistics noting that only 16% of creative workers are from working-class backgrounds. Its authors are often not working class themselves and are frequently drawn to such territories for their vibrance and struggles. But when a community does not have access to a photographer in their midst, does it not deserve representation? How then can a visitor do this ethically? What harm can a photograph pose to a community? This leads to another, perhaps more urgent consideration – If a territory has only ever been shot to its detriment by predominantly wealthy outsiders, should visitors continue to photograph there at all? Now, as I said, it's a very good, very well-reasoned, very well-argued article, and I I recommend that you um, read it. For me, there is always this base issue with this idea of working class. I come from a working class background, and yet I never identify as being working class. For me, it's an irrelevance, and particularly within the English class system, uh, something that people seem to feel the need to cling on to. I'm a working class person from South London who ended up art directing Tatler magazine. Go figure. I'm very at home in South London. So in that sense, I could go back there and photograph there very easily. I know the streets. I know the people. However, would they perceive me as being one of their own still? Or have I moved class? Anyway, these are very interesting discussions and ethical debates which are currently going on. Uh, And I thought it was interesting to pick up on. There is no doubt that there are ways of creating work in difficult environments, socially economic difficult environments, with empathy, the word I used last week, that's so important to understand whatever class you're from. You need to be able to communicate with the people you're photographing. Welcome to this week's A Photographic Life. My excitement in starting this week's episode meant I forgot to welcome you to the episode. (laughs) There you go. Uh, We're never a slick operation here. Anyway, uh, what I would like to do is welcome also to the uh, photographic life to to this week's episode. episode is photographer Neil Massey. He's going to explain to us in less than five minutes exactly what photography means to him. Neil has been working as a professional photographer for the past 30 years. He picked up a camera age 15 and studied photography at Bournemouth Art School before spending the following 15 years based in London working as an editorial photographer for titles which included The Face, Sleaze Nation and Q Magazine. In 2009, he moved to Vietnam, where he lived for six years working on the long-form photographic projects Bloody Chunks, Untitled, Song and Monoblock. In 2015, he returned to London and began documenting its city. Since 2020, Massey has been developing photographic-based artworks called Collide Escapes. Let's hear from Neil, shall we? Hello, my name is Neil Massey. I've been photographing for 35 years now. So your question, 
what does photography mean to me was a big one. When I look back, photography in my life is best described as an odyssey. Photography has been a part of my life since I was 15. I first picked up a camera at school. My mate Martin got me into photography and I thank him for that. His stepdad had a dark room at home, so me and Martin learned together. The pure magic of seeing my first black and white print appear in the tray still stays with me. By 17, I had my own dark room in a cold shed in the garden. The fact I could actually earn a living from photography was such a revelation. I've travelled through all the changes in photography, black and white film, to colour transparency, to colour negative, to digital, to phone photography, and now to mixed media, painting and photography. Always a journey, progression, growth. Photography has been a life teacher and a creative outlet for me. Making photographs has helped me engage and learn about the world around me. At times, the process of making pictures has helped me more directly with my mental health. Just the act of photographing takes me out of my mind and into the present moment. I've always struggled with the written word. The visual language of photography is how I best communicate. Early inspirations were photographers like Richard Avedon, Ouija, Robert Frank, Irving Penn, Sebastian Salgado and Alex Webb. They all had a big impact on me. They seem to record these special moments of humanity on film. Photography has enabled me to travel the world. At 19, I travelled around Thailand for two months, then raved on the beaches of Koh Phangan for a month at the full moon parties. On my return, the grown-up said, Great, that should get travelling out your system. It did the opposite and firmly put travelling in my system. Travelling expands the mind. I learned to trust my instincts, especially when you travel alone. In the 90s, I moved to London. I cut my teeth with Star Bible, the face magazine. This enabled me to travel more around the world and photograph musicians and youth subcultures. My mum used to say, you're living a champagne lifestyle on beer wages, which was true. I was a participant as well as an observer. I was partying at clubs, gigs, festivals, always with camera in hand. I wanted to show the exuberance, energy, attitude, anger, spirit of being a teenager, navigating your way into adulthood. I experienced eight good years shooting editorial at the turn of the millennium. This led to a few years of advertising work, but I got seduced by the money and got a bit lazy and stopped creating my own work, which I'd always done. In turn, I became disillusioned with photography. Then the death of my mum from leukaemia stopped me in my tracks. And for a while, I struggled with grief. Eventually, the Grief gave way to a sense of urgency to try to live life to the full. In 2009, my wife and I decided to move to Saigon, Vietnam, where we lived for the next six years. We fell in love with the Vietnamese culture and its people. I was inspired to pick up the camera again and reconnect with the world once more. Before going to Vietnam, all I could see online was images of the war and conical hats. What we found was a young, vibrant, population, still run by the communist state, but embracing capitalist lifestyle, eking out freedoms where they could be found. I wanted to show this new Vietnam. This body of work is called the Vietnam Collection, photographed on film and digital cameras. 
and on an iPhone 5, which was new at the time. With the iPhone, I was particularly curious to see how good an image I could create and if anyone would notice if it was from a phone. Remember, it was 2014. I learned that a mobile phone was a lot less intrusive in street photography than a camera, especially in Vietnam. In 2015, my wife and two kids returned to London, where we live now. I've always struggled with labels. Am I a documentary, portrait or street photographer? All the above and more, I guess, I've come to realise. In recent years, my inspiration comes from paintings, books, films and music. Like travelling, with photography, I've always tried to push myself forward out of my comfort zone. In 2020, when the pandemic hit, like everyone else, I was cooped up indoors. It was the first time in years I'd stopped and it got me in a reflective mode. I started scanning my negative archive from my 1990 trip to Thailand, which I'm currently making into a book. In my archives, I also found some photos of some fluoro rave acrylic paintings I made in 1991. I started to rework these scans and kaleidoscapes were born. For the past two years, I've been making new works, which are mixed media, paint, photography and digital manipulation, creating these future visions or new psychedelia. In some ways, I feel I've done a full 30 year cycle reimagining my early rave influences in these artworks. I believe I will always be a student of photography to my last photograph, whichever format that takes. Thank you, Neil, for your contribution this week and sharing with us the roller coaster nature of your life. But also, I think photography and so many photographers' experience with the medium. Great to hear that things started out in a shed. That's always good. And also that kind of uncomfortable uh, feeling that uh, Neil has there with labels against something that we often talk about on the podcast. You know, those labels are fake. They don't work and they don't fit the uh, creative uh, journey, the creative output, the artifacts that are the reality uh, working as a photographer. As always, if you're not aware of Neil's work, check it out. Uh, he's very... Uh, lively on Instagram uh, rather than on a website. I think maybe his website's been taken down. I'm not sure. But anyway, you will find a link to his Instagram uh, or just Google his name and I'm sure you'll come up with lots of inspirational work to inspire your own endeavours. As regular listeners know, we are not a podcast that deals with cameras, uh, new releases, uh, lenses and all that stuff. However, I did see an article uh, this week on DP Review that I thought was worth sharing with you. And I'm going to read it to you. There's a lot of reading this week because I've, I've been doing a lot of reading, but also because I want to get the facts right. Anyway, this was the article in DP Review, and I think when I read it to you, you'll understand why I'm covering it this week. Said this, Earlier today, Japanese business publication Nikkei reported Nikon, or Nikon, depending where you're listening to this podcast, is planning to stop making DSLR cameras and focus on mirrorless models. We contacted Nikon for additional information, but before we received a response, Nikon Inc. shared a statement on its website saying the company will continue to make, sell and service its line of DSLR cameras. 
In the original report, Nikkei says it's learned that Nikon will withdraw from the single lens reflex camera business and shift towards digital offerings amid intensifying competition from smartphones. Specifically, Nikkei says Nikon plans to focus resources on mirrorless cameras, which have become mainstream products on the back of more advanced digital technologies. Not long after, Nikon caught wind of the article and published a statement on its website that reads as follows. There was a media article regarding Nikon's withdrawal of SLR development. This media article is only speculation, and Nikon has made no announcement in this regard. Nikon is continuing the production, sales, and service of digital SLR. Nikon appreciate your continuous support. Nikon Inc.'s statement is fairly straightforward, but Nikon isn't explicitly denying the information in the Nikkei report. Nikon doesn't say the report is incorrect, only that Nikon has made no announcement in this regard. Nikon does say it will continue the production, sales and service of digital SLR, but that's a rather vague statement that only holds weight in the immediate present. Should Nikon cease all production, sales and service of its DSLR lineup tomorrow, Nikon's statement will still have been true when made. It's also worth noting that Nikon doesn't mention development at all in its statement, only production. While it isn't exactly a surprise Nikon wouldn't be pouring resources into developing new DSLR cameras, the wording in Nikon's statement seems clear that it's only continuing to produce its existing lineup of DSLRs. Of course, this is all reading between the lines of one report and one statement, but it's possible, if not likely, that both Nikkei's original report and Nikon's statement are true. Nikkei doesn't provide a specific time frame for Nikon ditching DSLRs, and Nikon's response only refers to what it's doing at this current time. In other words, there's not much to see here. Nikon is carrying on as usual until it isn't, at which point the inevitable will take place. Nikon's DSLRs and presumably F-mount lenses will become discontinued in favour of its growing line of Z-mount mirrorless cameras and lenses. Well, I think why that's all important to you guys is that that's Nikon the being the past of photography for so many of you and the future they're agreeing, they're accepting. It's mirrorless and it's smartphone. Again, something we talk about a lot on the podcast. Photography isn't about the past. It's about the future. And it is so often influenced and informed by technological development and actually technological rejection of what was uh, they were producing in the past. So, I don't see this as a negative. I can see this as a positive, but it's a definite sign of change. And change is something we talk about on this podcast all of the time. And that idea is where photography is going feeds back directly there to what Neil was talking about in his contribution this week, that idea of progression and moving his work forward. He isn't still trying to do the work he did in the 90s. He's allowing himself to go forward with that. And I think that's something to be encouraged and supported. Anyway, um, been a lot of reading this week. Uh, Hope you've enjoyed the episode. Hope you're staying cool in these rather hot days. And uh, of course, I hope you're taking care.